Dear God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you um, together. We roll into this space, all different kinds of things going on in life and in our heads and in our hearts. What we need this morning, what I need this morning is just you to meet me in this space. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think maybe that's what we all need. You to just send your spirit here and make your word known to us. Help us to understand it. Help us to see how this impacts our life. Help us to follow you better. Give encouragement to those who are discouraged. Give strength to the weak. Give insight to the confused. Most of all, just help us to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're jumping into a brand new series this week. It's a five-week series on a couple verses found in First Peter. But first, let me just say welcome to all of you in Tremont. We're so glad that you are joining us, our Tremont campus. I had the awesome opportunity to crash their worship practice up there. I uh, was meeting with a couple of the team members up there. Phenomenal team. If, if ever I need encouragement, I hang out with all the teams, but especially the Tremont team. <laughs> They're so encouraging. And uh, man, it's so, it was so cool to be up there. I just wanted to say I'm thankful for you all, and uh, we're glad you're joining us. And for those of you that are joining us online, we're excited to have you too. And welcome to you guys. Good to see you. The early crew. You're like, it's not that early. Speak for yourself. It's early for me. We're going to jump right into this. Um, um, let, let me just read first, before we jump into anything, let me just read the uh, main passage for the next five weeks. I'd encourage you, as we always do, like be, check this out during the week. Read it, uh, you know, on your lunch break at work or um, not in the car on your way to work. I was going to say read it on the way to work, but that would be a terrible idea. Keep your eyes on the road and hands on the wheel. First Peter chapter five and verses six through 10. This series is called Restored. Restored, and what we're talking about is going from broken to better. How to experience restoration in your life. Not just like some kind of quick fix from uh, some kind of like self-help thing, not, not some kind of like life hack to make life better, to unbreak you, not something like that. Like, what's God say about it? What, what's the kind of restoration God wants to do in your life, in your relationships, in your home, in your mind, in your heart? What's that kind of mean? Let's, let's jump in. I just want to read these verses to you. You'll be hearing them a lot over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to actually click them off one message, one verse. Um, well, we're going to have other verses too, but the, the kind of anchor is one verse. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal 
glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, none of us like that part, right? Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Today, we're talking about stay humble. That's the title of this message. And so I'm just going to read verse 6 to you again. And uh, if you got it locked in, take a couple extra swigs of your coffee because then we're going we're gonna to go after it. You with me, 930? Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. It's not like somebody else humble you. It's not like wait until life circumstances humble you. It's not like get caught and then be humbled, right? Like the, like the, the word here is humble yourself. And therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. Stay humble. You know, this, this series is, is called Restored. I had this Dodge Neon. I, when I was a bachelor um, and uh, young, a lot younger, not that much younger, I'm still youngish, youngish, uh, I, I had this theory about transportation. I wanted an expensive Harley and a cheap car. And, and that's because I grew up with cheap cars, so cars didn't matter that much to me, and Harleys are just way cooler than cars. Can I get an amen, somebody? Nobody's with me here. And so I would, I would have, I had this slick, like, 1989 FXR. If you're not a motorcycle guy, you don't even care. Like, not even all the new Harley guys even know how epic this bike was. It's an old frame. The last year they made it, it was such a sweet ride. And um, man, it was, it was killer. And because I had a great bike and I had no kids and I had no wife and I had no, well, I had responsibility, but you know what I mean? Like nobody was telling me when I needed to eat dinner. I just ate dinner whenever I felt like it. I can't wait for those days to come back. I don't have to worry about all the other mouths and like they got to eat at 5.30 and I feel like a senior citizen eating that early, but I got to do it. I'm starving by nine o'clock. You know what I mean? How are you supposed to not eat after, after six when, uh, anyway, it's, uh, it was rough. So I had like cheap cars, expensive Harley, but there was this point where I started dating Jen and she's like, this car, it it was an old Dodge, I forget what it was. It had like the, the ceiling was falling, the, the felt on, you know, it was falling down. You had to like stick push pins up to keep the ceiling from messing up your hair. And uh, when I took it to the shop, the guy's like, oh, you have a problem with your transmission. I said, can you fix it? He said, no, it's a hole. You actually have a hole in your transmission. I've never seen anything like it. But I didn't care. I just bought a case of transmission fl fluid and kept it in the back of the car and filled it up every once in a while. Jen was like, that's not going to work, man. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can date you and drive in this car. Maybe I'll have to meet you places. But uh, so, so I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a bachelor forever. Time to upgrade. But I still wanted a cheap car, so I talked to a buddy who was working at this little tiny car dealership. Nobody around here. No dealership around here, so you don't got to worry about it, right? Like, they had this slick little white Dodge Neon with black windows tinted out, and I'm a sucker. I don't like the sun that much. I like the sun, it's a gift from God, right? But like in my eyes, nah, I'll take the tinted windows. I don't need you to see me rolling around in my Dodge Neon. 
It was cheap. I got it for cheap, but it looked better than the car with the roof that fell on my head and uh, that had a hole in the transmission. I started driving this around. It didn't take long, and it started, like, bucking on me like crazy. I I thought, I bought a lemon. Great. I knew I should have stuck with the original plan. I should have just bought a bigger Harley. You know, and kept the junky car with the thing. And so um, I, I got it, started bucking, and it was riding, and like it was bad. And I, I took it in, and I'm like, man, this car is junk. And they're like, they felt so bad. They were so good at care. They really did care. They were really bummed that they sold me this thing, and it had transmission. But they didn't really send it anywhere to actually check if it was the transmission. They kind of just... <laughs> Took my word from it. I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> I don't know if you're like, yeah, we can tell. Mechanics don't wear shoes like that, right? Like, <laughs> I wish I was a mechanic some days, but like, I'm, I'm not. But they took my word for it. They went and replaced the whole transmission. I get the car back after a week of the transmission being replaced, brand new transmission. I'm driving it around. I'm uh, and it starts bucking little by little by little. I can't deal with this right now. I gotta pick up my friend from the, from the airport. I pick up my friend from the airport. He's coming in to hang out with us for the weekend. And we're driving back from Philly almost dying because every time you would step on the gas, it would like, uh, like go and stop. And you're trying to merge and the car looks like you're like, like you know. <laughs> it was terribly scary. My friend's like, I'm gonna die. I flew all the way Flew all the way to Google County, Pennsylvania, just to die in a Dodge Neon with tinted windows. And uh, I'm like, we might. I don't know what's going on. I took it to another mechanic that I knew. who I was like, I don't know what's going on. I had this replaced. And he's like, oh, man, here you go. He went back in the back of his shop, looked around, rooted through some stuff, pulled out a handful of spark plug wires. Sometimes the solution is way more practical than we think. It's simpler. And what if if the solutions that God has for us are, what if you don't need a new transmission in your marriage? What if you don't need a new transmission at work? What if you don't need some kind of big fix? What if the solutions are simpler and much more practical? We're talking about restoring stuff in your life. And this is gonna be personal. There's probably some stuff that you need some restoration in, maybe a little healing in. Maybe your heart's a little banged up and you're like, man, I don't know. I saw the advertisement for this like series online. I need, a, I need my heart restored. Or maybe you're like going through it and you've been living in conflict with somebody. It doesn't have to be somebody to live with. Maybe it's just a friend or a relationship that's broken down. You need, you're like, I need some restoration. I need some restoration. And we always look for big, dramatic things that are going to make a difference and restore us. Really, God's plan is so much simpler. And I think that laid out here in 1 Peter, these couple verses are for, it's not the sum of the solution to find restoration in your life. It's not. It's, It's not the sum of it all. But in this passage, you have four really simple and really practical things that God says 
will lead to restoration in your life. Practical, simple, spark plug wires, not a new transmission. So maybe, maybe over the next couple weeks, we can one at a time check the wires of your heart. Maybe we can just kind of take one and replace it if it needs to be replaced. And if it doesn't need to be replaced, maybe we can be like, oh, that's good. I'm on the right path. I'm just going to keep being faithful. I'm just going to follow it. And spark plug wire number one is humility. Humility seems to be trending. I don't know if you've seen any of the Stay Humble stickers or t-shirts out there. They're all over social media. I was driving through my hometown of Pine Grove the other day, and uh, there was this souped up. It wasn't a Dodge Neon. I would have been so perfect if it was. Um, it was a cool little souped up car, a little like, I don't know, all the fancy wheels and also had tinted windows. And on the back, it had this huge sticker, Stay Humble. I thought, I see that everywhere nowadays, Stay Humble. Stay humble, it's, it's all over social media, it's hashtagged everywhere, stay humble, stay humble, sounds good, but it, it's, it seems trendy, but I don't think humility is trending. In fact, I think that more than ever, our pride is on display in culture today. Oh, I'm not just talking about people outside of the church that don't follow Jesus, I'm talking about followers of Jesus too. It seems like what's most important, the values that drive us, it's not humility. It's what serves me or what works for me. It's what makes me feel better. It's what I can get. And when we start putting a lot of eyes into sentences, it's an indication that we are struggling with and probably losing our battle with pride. Pride always wants to be the loudest in the room. Pride always thinks their point, their opinion, is gospel truth, even if it's not found in the gospel. Pride always wants to elevate ourselves more than other people. It looks down on others. I think pride's one of those things that I don't want to creep into my life. I don't want it to creep into my, my home. I don't want to creep into this church. It's something we have to guard against, and humility is the answer. Now, in, in case, just so we understand a biblical idea of humility, I looked it up on Wikipedia and I thought that definition is terrible. That's not the biblical definition of Wikipedia. <laughs> it's a great place to, all you high schoolers, Wikipedia is gonna be your best friend this year. My, my daughter was reading a book this summer for English class because now that's a thing. They like study during the summer for school that starts in the fall. And my wife and I laughed at her and said, you never heard of Cliff Notes, did you? That's how we got through school. <laughs> My kids are smarter than me, though. Um, so anyway, that's just free. All the high schoolers, this free. Buy some Cliff Notes. Thank me later. Don't tell your teacher <laughs> or your parents. <laughs> Terrible advice. Humility is the answer that we need. It's so simple, but it's often misunderstood. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's not ex about exaggerating your lowliness. Humility is not about making yourself a doormat for people to trample upon. Humility is, is C.S. Lewis said it like this. C.S. Lewis said, humility is about having a right view of self. And if you follow Jesus, if you believe in the word of God, if you trust what God says about you, having a right view of self is awesome. 
It's not elevated and puffed up. You don't have to be torn apart by what your pride wants to leak into your head. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You don't have to prove that you're better than somebody. You don't have to put your, because if you have a right view of yourself, you know that you are highly valued and important to God. You have a right view of yourself. It's not putting yourself down either. You don't have to grovel or, or make life painful or prove how lowly you are. It's about having a right view of self. Rick Warren said, it, humility, I love this definition. I don't use this stuff a lot, but this definition is so, so smooth and I liked it a lot. He said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I love those definitions of humility because I can, I can do that. I want to do that. Have you ever spent time with somebody who's humble and time with somebody who's proud? Spending time with somebody who's proud, it's like hard to get a word in edgewise. They're, all, they're always twisting whatever you got to say about them. But when you spend time with somebody who's humble, man, don't you feel more cared about? Do you feel like somebody's actually listening? Like somebody genuinely cares about who you are? The world is shooting at us that Pride is what should drive us, but humility is so much better because humble people place a higher value on more meaningful things. Humility makes you great. No wonder it's God's design for how we ought to live with, our, with each other and in, in relationship with him. Humi there's actual studies out there that'll tell you that humble people handle stress better, that they, humble people report a higher physical and mental well-being. Humble people show generosity, show more kindness, are more helpful, and show more gratitude, which means they are closer to other people. I, lo I love when science backs up what the Word of God has been trying to tell us all the time. Humble, humility makes you great, and humility unlocks greater things. I want to tell, tell you the story, if you haven't heard it before, review a story. It's found in 2 Kings about humility. It's the story of a guy named Naaman, and Naaman was uh, really powerful. If you want to read the story on your own, I'm going to have to paraphrase some of it for time's sake, just to land the plane in time for our next service, but uh, if if you have, um, if you want to read it, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 5, and especially verses 1 through 19, but the whole chapter is just so important. Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram. We talked about Aram not too long ago, uh, Syrian king Aram, and Naaman had worked his way up the ranks to be the highest leading officer in the entire army of this powerful country. Uh, it says in Scripture in the beginning of the chapter that he was a great man. And anytime Scripture is telling you that somebody is a great man, that's, that's pretty impressive. Like, that's how God is describing Naaman in his word, in his perfect word. That, that Naaman was a great man and he was in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was not a Christian at this time. He's not following 
Yahweh, uh, but God had still been moving in and around his life for the, God's purposes. Uh, he was a valiant soldier, and then there's this big but in Scripture. It tells us that he had leprosy. Leprosy were, um, is used for various skin diseases that, of which there was no cure, and eventually leprosy was something that would exclude you from the, the, your social circles. As it was highly contagious and feared in uh, the Jewish nations. The Hebrews would think that it was mean you're cursed by God. It was like a big deal that he had leprosy. This huge, like, asterisk hanging over an extremely highly successful career. Now, Aram had bands of raiders that would go out and they took captive a young girl in, in one of their raids. That's not a fun thing to go through. I can't imagine what that girl went through. But she was taken into Naaman's court and served his wife essentially as a slave. Taken from her town, ripped from her people, the pain, the confusion, her family gone. Here she is serving in Naaman's household and serving Naaman's wife. Everybody knew Naaman had leprosy in the household, and one day she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. How humble is this girl? I mean, if anybody in this story has a right to be angry, to seek vengeance, to wish her master dead, it was this girl. But here she is, ripped from her home in this foreign land, serving these, these foreign people, and she whispers a truth that would lead to Naaman's eventual healing. How humble. God will always use the humble. He will always use the humble. Naaman went on to his master, the king, King Aram, and said, listen, the, my, this girl, she's a servant of ours, she told us that if I go to Israel, there's a prophet there who can heal me of my leprosy. The king loved Naaman, so he's like, go, go, I'll send you a letter. Do whatever you need to do. Here's the letter. And he, so he, he writes this letter to the king of Israel saying like, uh, with this letter, I'm, I'm, sending you, I'm sending you Naaman. Please heal him, heal him of his leprosy. I don't think he said please. Heal him of his leprosy. The king of Israel gets this letter and he's like, ah, I can't heal him of leprosy. What is this letter? He can only see how it affects him. King Aram's gonna kill me. I can't heal, I'm just a, I can't heal him. What am I supposed to do? So crazy that the people in this foreign land, Syria, knew more about what God was doing in Israel than the king of Israel because he was so self-focused and pride will twist your vision to just look deeper at yourself. You will, you will, if you give in to it, you will make everything in your life start to revolve around you. It's the birth of narcissism and narcissism will destroy every relationship you have right before it destroys you. This king is spinning with self-focus. He's only thinking about himself. He's only thinking about how this letter is going to ruin his life, how it's going to end up at war. And fortunately, though, 
Elisha, the prophet of God, heard that he had sent this letter. So Elisha says, notice to the king, what are you freaking out about? He didn't say, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say it like that. He said, send the dude, sort of, like to my, to my place. I'll take care of it. Like God's gonna do something. What are you freaking out about? You're so, so self-absorbed. The king sends him off and Naaman goes to Elisha and knocks on Elisha's door and Elisha sends a messenger to say to him. He doesn't even answer the door himself. I love that because there were a lot of times I'd like to just stay on the couch. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if you could be like, hey, messenger, go pick up the phone and tell that whoever it is not to call back ever again. <laughs> well, who is it? I don't care. Just tell him not to. Sounds wonderful sometimes. <laughs> Naaman goes to the door and he knocks. Here you have this powerful, established man who had the king of, the ears of his king. When he spoke, people listened. When he gave orders, people followed them, even if it meant their death. He had lived his life like that. Nobody said no. They just said, yes, sir. Whatever you say. And here with this piece of wood standing in front of him, you have this powerful, powerful man, established, reputable, and a messenger that God sends. Naaman was so angry. He said to his servants, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana? Oh, the messenger said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. So then he goes, aren't these two rivers in Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? Like, couldn't I just wash there and have been cleansed? So he went away in a rage, scripture says. Your pride Pride says that you're entitled to more. Pride says it's all about you and you are entitled to more. And when you are not in getting what you are entitled to, the way pride plays out in your life is anger. He's in a rage and he takes off. Naaman's servants slow him down on the, as they're leaving and they're like, why? Why are we leaving? If this prophet of God came out and said, do something great, wouldn't you have done it? If it was some big pompous show, wouldn't you have gone through it? But here he tells you to do something simple and small, spark pluggish, and you won't do it? And Naaman, they plead with him. Why won't you just do what he has asked you to do? They made a great point. And Naaman's like, yeah. So he goes back to the man of God. Or he goes and he, he doesn't go back to the man of God. It says in verse 13, after sermons asked him that, he, he went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times. There's no prophet with him. He's just following the simple instruction. And as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. His skin fully restored and healthy. 
Naaman and all his attendants, they were like, obviously thrilled. They rushed back to Elijah and they said, here, we brought treasures for you. Elijah says, no, you can't buy a miracle. These works of God are for free. It's about God's business with you, not about my business with you. Isn't that refreshing? Humility that knows his rightful place in the story of God. Elijah knows he's not some lowly, weak Loser of a person, he's not groveling, saying, oh no, I'm nobody, I'm not any, you know, don't even look at me. I'm. He's not doing that, but he's not elevating himself either. He's just right where he should be. It's not my business. Don't pay me any money. This is about God's work in you. You get this like, I'm just happy. I'm just happy. I'm happy to be used. I'm happy to serve. I'm happy to be that God allowed me to be part of your story. Isn't that such a refreshing? Humility is a breath of fresh air in a chaotic, polluted world. And people notice. Naaman tries to force him to take the treasure. He doesn't. He leaves. Unfortunately, one of Naaman's servants, or one of uh, Elijah's servants, Gehazi, as he hears this whole conversation, says to himself, why didn't he take any of the money? This is crazy. We need some of this money. So Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, disobeying his master, runs out and says to Naaman, wait, stop, you know, maybe we could have some of that treasure after all. And Naaman gives it to him. And Elisha says, why did you disobey me? His pride got in the way. Was not my spirit with you when the man got out from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or male or female? Is this the time for that? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. So sad. Result of pride. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous and it became white as snow. Listen, I got four things I want to, four lessons about humility and then we're gonna touch it up real fast in the next five minutes. We're gonna end this, land this plane. Four lessons and then one how-to and a verse to go with it. Here are the lessons from this story that I wrote down that I need to lock in about pride and humility. Number one, if you're a note taker, write this stuff down. Pride sets you as the roadblock for the good God has for you. And humility clears the path. Pride sets, the road, sets you as the roadblock for the good God has for you. But humility clears the path to see God work in your life. The second thing I, I pulled out of this is that pride costs you more than you're willing to, pl- to pay, but humility always delivers more than you expected. That's a math equation I want to see in my life. Pride will always cost you more. Pride will always do more damage to your relationships than you expect. Pride will always lead you down darker paths than you ever hoped to walk through. Pride always stings deeper than you expected to sting. 
You cannot live in pride or accept your own pride and get out of it. Consequence free, it always takes more than you expect. But when you are humble, God will exalt you. And humility always delivers. It always delivers more than you expected. Number three, pride leads you to more pain and conflict. But humility leads to healing. Number four, pride separates. You've heard, have you heard it said pride comes before fall? I got a, a variation that I think that's true. I also think that this, this is true. Pride perpetuates the fall while humility leads to restoration. And when God restores you, he exalts you. It's in his time. And I know that's maybe the hardest part for some of us. But when he lifts you up, he lifts you up. Philippians, I just have one, like how do we be more humble? I'll just end with this right here in Philippians chapter two and verse three. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Here's, here's some, some tricks to like, not tricks, here's some truth about how to, how to be more humble. One, keep your motives in check. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. To know if you're doing anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, you have to have the self-awareness and, and the ability to check your motives and, and to check them and then keep them in check. What am I, what's my motivation in posting stuff on social media so I look better or help somebody? What's my motivation in speaking up here so I feel the power of like having a microphone or to, because I'm really trying to like grow myself and help other people on their journey too? Like what's your motivation for, the, for what you are telling people you want at your workplace or home? What's your motivation for how you talk to other people, for how you treat other people? Check your motives and keep them in check. You're significant but also value your circle. You're not insignificant, but you need to raise the significance of the people around you. Lift them up in your own value of them. Esteem them greater than you do today. Take care of yourself, but also take care of other people. Be like Jesus. Listen, I don't know what your humility looks like or if you've been wrestling with pride, but I sure, I sure want to humble myself rather than experience the humility that comes from a fall or from circumstances in life. I love that it's so simple. How can I stay more humble this week? Just have a right view of myself in, in God's kingdom. Know how valued I am, but know that my value does not come from what other people say about me or how well I look. And then lift the people up around me. Humility. You want to see restoration? It's a great place to start. You want to see some healing in your relationships? It's a great place to start. Keep following Jesus and try to be more like him and just humble yourself. Let's pray. Dear God. 
Thank you so much. Humility is a tough thing, <laughs> I think. Um, I constantly need to keep my pride in check. Remain humble. Help us not to need circumstances that humble us. Because we're constantly trying and looking to stay humble. Just serve you. Lift other people up. Have a right view of ourselves. Forgive us for the areas that pride has crept into our hearts. Free us from that junk. Help us just to embrace your path for us. It starts with the humility that says we are so valued by you. But we are not the most important thing in the room. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.